we have got to the end of our RSVP God series today, and uh, I'm kind of sad leaving this series because I, I've thoroughly enjoyed just watching what happens when God shows up, when we invite God into our lives and God shows up. But uh, today we are going to be finishing up, and uh, it's uh, kind of ironic, but we're finishing up in the book of Revelation today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can get ready, and we're going to look at Revelation chapter 1 today. But uh, i got a question for you. When, when I say the word prison, what, what do you think? What, what comes to your mind when I say the word prison or you think of a prison? What comes to your mind? Many of you, you're probably thinking, that's the place bad guys and girls go. That's the place where, uh, where you're locked up and uh, you are in a cell and there's, there's, uh, there's a jail and there's bars and there's only keys that you can get in and out of. Uh, and, and you're probably thinking, uh, that's the place where uh, people go as a punishment for their crimes. And that's what most people think when they think of prison. Now, uh, I've got a confession to you today. I've actually been in prison a couple of times myself. Uh, not for any crimes I've committed, thankfully. Uh, but I've been in a couple of times. The first time I ever went inside a prison was when I was in youth group. And so this was a long time ago. My hair was really bad and I dressed in very unfashionable clothing at the time. And uh, our youth group went to take part in a church service inside a prison. Now, this was back in the 90s. And in the 90s, we dressed to the nines to go to church. And so I'm talking, I'm not just talking about, you know, some slacks and a shirt. I'm talking about tie pin tie, I'm talking about three-piece suit, handkerchief in the pocket, kind of like we went all out because we believed in the 90s that uh, Jesus deserved our best and we thought three-piece suits were our best. I'm glad theology's changed a little since then because I don't like wearing three-piece suits. But anyway, so so we were going to go to church service, so I turned up at the prison in a three-piece suit and I remember everybody looking at me as we walked in and we started to take this part in this church service and I could tell immediately even as a teenager that they didn't relate to me I didn't relate to them that that I had no business walking inside a prison in a three-piece suit at all and I could tell anything I'd say they just went over their head because they just couldn't relate to me at the time but I remember walking out and thinking hmm I'm not sure if I ever want to do that again Uh, and then a couple of years ago well several years ago uh uh, I uh, actually uh, um, convened a wedding inside a prison. And so that was a unique situation. And so as I walked in, I was amazed at how many doors you had to go through to get to where the inmates were and how many uh, different doors slammed behind you. And every time I heard the door slam behind you, I realized I was a step further away from freedom. And, and I was in the middle of this prison and there must have been about six doors that had slammed behind me. And suddenly I had this revelation that was this. If this place goes crazy and there's a riot, I am stuck. 
I cannot get out. I'm like, if something happens to me, there is no way of getting out. For the first time in my life, I had felt this overwhelming sense of being in a place of captivity, a place of confinement, a place where I knew that I could not get out. And suddenly, the walls just started coming in a little on me. So I did the wedding and I got out there as soon as I could. And I walked outside and it was like, oh, smelling the fresh air, even though I'd been in the, like, the prison for about two hours altogether. But that's what we think when we think of prisons. We think of places that people go where they are locked up because of their crimes. But I believe that you can be in a prison and never have a door locked behind you. I remember at school, and many of you can relate to this, I remember at school sitting in math class thinking, this place is a prison, not wanting not being able to get out. Uh, Some of you, you you are in uh, situations in your life right now where you feel that you are in a prison. Uh, I, I, uh, I've even, and don't tell the preacher this, but I've even been in church before and felt, man, this place is a prison. I'm like, is it ever going to end at all? Can I even get out of here? But you can be in places in your life uh, where doors are not being locked behind you, but you can still feel like you are in a prison. Because the word prison basically means a state of confinement or captivity. You are confined to an area, confined to a place, and you cannot get out. You do not have the freedom. You are captive to that place or to that area or that thing, and there is no freedom allowed at all. And I wonder, in your life today, I wonder how many areas of your life that you feel like you are in a prison in right now. I wonder if there are areas of your life where you feel you are in captivity, that you are confined and you do not have the freedom to get out of those areas at all. Maybe some of you, you are imprisoned to your past. You can't get away from your past. Your past keeps haunting you and you cannot be free of your past. Maybe you are a prison to the fear of tomorrow. And the fear of the future. And you cannot get away from that fear of what is going to happen to you tomorrow. Until you are confined by those fears. Some of you, you are imprisoned to your job or your career. Some of you, you are going to walk into work tomorrow morning. And you are going to say, this place is like a prison. Because you know you can't get out or you want to get out and there's something that is stopping you get out. You, you want to pursue a new career but you are stuck where you are and you feel that you are in prisons. Some of you, you may have a financial situation that you feel that you are imprisoned in. That you feel the bills are just piling up and piling up and you cannot get free of it and you cannot see freedom at all. All you see is more bills coming and you feel that you are a prisoner to your financial situation. Some of you, you may have an addiction or a vice that just keeps pulling you back in and you cannot be free of that and you are imprisoned to those things. You may even be in a place this morning where you feel your marriage is a prison and you just want out. But it feels like you just do not have the freedom and you don't want to be in that marriage anymore because it feels like a prison. Well, if that is you today, then I'm telling you, I'm not here to tell you how to get out of your prison. 
I'm sorry I don't have the secret sauce to tell you how to get out of your prison. We can deal with that in other sermons, how to get out of the things that imprison us. But what I am here today to tell you and to encourage you and to challenge to you and to teach you is to how you are to act while you are in that place of captivity. What you need to do in your life so even though you may still be in prison to these things, that you can experience new life and you can experience true freedom even while you are still in prisons. And so we're going to take a look at the book of Revelation. So in Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to start reading at verse 9. And this is what it says. It says, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. Okay, so the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, most of you probably know something about the book of Revelation. And this is probably what you know about the book of Revelation. I don't understand it. Right? That's most people. They read it and they're like, whoa, this is like some crazy fantasy sci-fi kind of thing. It's like, whoa, what is going on? What does this even mean? That's what most people think when they think of the book of Revelation. But the book of Revelation is one of the most incredible manuscripted revelations that a man has ever had. It is the writings of a man who came face to face with God and God showed him some incredible, uh, wonderful things that this man struggled to put into words. Things that were going to take place in a future time and things that still, as we read the book of Revelation, we can identify they may not have happened yet. This book was written by a man called John called the Apostle John. John was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was often known as the youngest disciple, the young disciple. He was nicknamed the disciple who loved Jesus. And John was a man who, who when he wrote the book of Revelation and he put into, into words the, this, this, this vision that he could see, he was an old man at the time. But when John was a disciple of Jesus, he was just a young boy. He was a young man. He was maybe a late teenager or in his early 20s, not entirely sure of, uh, of the age at the time, but he was a young man. And he came face to face with an encounter with the glorified Jesus. But this man, the Apostle John, He experienced an incredible revelation from God in the middle of the most painful and frustrating time of his life. The Bible tells us here in Revelation chapter 1 that John was in prison. He says, I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of Jesus Christ or the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what Patmos was, Patmos was the Alcatraz of the day. It was an island that, that was off the western coast of Turkey, uh, and, and it was where they had put some prisoners. 
and, and they, they, they were confined to these islands and they were in captivity on this island. So it was off the western coast of Turkey. And if you ever have the chance to go to the city of Ephesus, there's all these wonderful ruins in Turkey, the city of, city of Ephesus. You can stand on the port of Ephesus, which is no longer a port, but it kind of used to be. There's like some reclaimed land there. But you can stand where the port of Ephesus used to be and you can look out and you can see in the distance the island of Patmos. Now, originally, the island of Patmos was a special island because it was a place of worship, not to the God that we worship, the one true God, but it was to the God Artemis or the goddess Artemis. Uh, and the goddess Artemis. There's this big temple in Ephesus to the goddess Artemis. Well, this was the island where they would go and worship this goddess. But when John was around, the Romans had come and conquered all this land in Turkey. And they called it Asia Minor. Uh, And when they came and conquered it, that they came and this island went into decline. And the Romans started using this island as a place where they would take criminals and they would leave them on the island. It's a bit like what the Brits used to do with Australia, but it was a little closer to shore than Australia was to, to Britain because the Brits used to go and send all their criminals to Australia. And uh, now Australia is a wonderful place to, to live. So I don't know what that tells you about the Brits. But anyway, so this is what, 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 what happened. And so then John, John was then exiled, he was arrested, and he was sentenced to imprisonment on the island of Patmos. Now, he did not have walls around him. He did not have a prison door that would close behind him. He didn't have chains around him, but yet he couldn't get off the island. He was confined to this island. This island was not a place where, uh, you know, it wasn't like Paradise Island where, you know, you're drinking pina coladas and you're, you know, sunbathing under a palm tree. Uh, if you would see the land, the land is very desolate. The, va- the land had hardly anything on it. There was nothing to do on the island of Patmos. And John tells us, that he has been sentenced to this island, and it has come out of a season of suffering. He says this, he says, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering in, the, in, the, in God's kingdom. So he's been through his season in his life of suffering. He has been declaring about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the freedom, the grace, and the salvation there is in Jesus. And there are people who did not like that, and so they have arrested him now he's going through a moment of suffering he calls it the patient endurance the patient endurance and the way that John talks about it it's almost like all Christians go through suffering and patient endurance now, you, you may listen to some Christians and they may say, you know, as a Christian, you should never suffer. You should never go through suffering. But that's not the truth. Because John is telling us here that we go through suffering for God's kingdom. And we go through times of patient endurance. And, and you may be in this place today and you may feel there's places in your life that feel like a prison. Or you are going through pain. You are going through suffering. And you are saying, God, why have you given this to me But yet, as Christians, we do go through seasons of pain and suffering. We go through seasons where we have to patiently endure. It's like John is telling us, if you want to follow Jesus, 
then you will have to go through a season of suffering. You will have to go through seasons where you have to be patient and you have to endure in your faith. Now, as I read the words of John, I'm overwhelmed by the positivity of his spirit. Now, if I'm in John's shoes, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I'm moaning, I'm complaining, I just want a nice bed to sleep in. I just want a nice shower. Uh, I, I'm waking up. I'm, I'm miserable. There's no coffee for me to drink, so I'm even more miserable. I'm thinking, God, why have you done this to me? I'm starting to blame God and saying, God, like, do you even care about me? I'm blaming the church because they haven't come and rescued me, or they didn't stop me from being in this place, or nobody came to visit me. And I'm blaming the people in the church. And then I'm probably cussing at the culture that I live in because it's such an ungodly culture. And and I'm, I'm saying this is just terrible. Why did I have to live in a time where there is such an ungodly culture? That's what I would have done. But not John. John didn't do this. John sees life a little differently. Remember, John is not just a Christ follower. But John has actually seen Jesus face to face. John has seen the suffering of Jesus. He saw Jesus in in the worst state possible when he was hung on a cross. He's seen the power of Jesus. He's seen the resurrection of Jesus. And there is something about when you see Jesus, it does to your spirit. You start to see life a little differently. You start to see suffering and pain and imprisonment and captivity and confinement a little different. But this is what I know. When you follow Jesus, there will be suffering. There will be times where you will have to patiently endure. It comes with the territory. John has the same sort of spirit as the Apostle Paul. Who to the Romans wrote this, Romans 8, 18. He said, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And I can see John on the island of Patmos and going through all this suffering, this pain. He's now confined. He can't tell people about Jesus Christ. His purpose in life has been taken away from him. And I can see John now sitting there saying, you know what, I'm going through this suffering But this is nothing compared to what I'm going to see in Jesus Christ in a later time. The glory I'm going to see in Jesus, the benefits I'm going to have when I get to heaven, the freedom. I can put up with this suffering right now. And whatever suffering you may be going through right now in your life, you have a choice. You can either look to your left or your right and you can see the walls close in on you. Or you can look up and see the glory of Jesus at work in you. Say that again. Whatever suffering that you are going through, you have a choice. You can either look to your left or your right and you can see the prison walls closing in on you. Or you can look up and see the glory of Jesus at work within you. And John was in a place primed to see the glory of Jesus at work in him. Let me ask you, what if that place of captivity that you may be in right now is a place where Jesus becomes real to you? What if your prison is the road to a greater revelation in God? 
What, what if those situations that you're going through that you've prayed and prayed and, and it feels like the heavens are silent and God has not moved. What if that place is the place where God's revelation becomes greater to you, where you actually experience the realness of a glorified Jesus Christ? Just because you may feel confined doesn't mean that you've done wrong. Often people with bad theology believe this, that if something's going wrong in your life, it's because you've done wrong. That's not the case. Because we know as Christians that we will go through seasons in our life of blessing, but we'll also go through seasons in our life of suffering and hardship, and we have to patiently endure. Just because you're going through that season doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. For often when we step out and we speak up for the gospel of Jesus, the world will want to do all it can to exile us from influencing others. The world will want to imprison us and stop us speaking for Jesus. So let's continue reading. So this guy, he's on the island of Patmos. And then it says this in verse 10. It says, it was the Lord's day and I was worshipping in the Spirit." Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. So John is saying, I was there on the island and it was the Lord's day. And I was in the spirit. Two things, two variables we notice about this. The first one is this. John did not forget the Lord's day. John did not forget the Lord's day. Now let me tell you about the Lord's day. The early Christians took on the tradition of the Jewish people. The Jewish people in the Ten Commandments, it says, to keep the Sabbath day holy. There was a day that they set apart, uh, and it, it was Saturday for the Jews, and they, they, they set it apart and kept it holy. I mean, they didn't work. They, 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 they didn't put their hand to the plow or anything like that. And the Christians, they kept on this tradition of having one day a week that they would keep as holy. The early Christians called it the Lord's Day. And it's been a day that Christians come together once a week to worship God, to rest, and to focus on Jesus throughout the millennia. We call this day Sunday. And John is saying here, he's saying it was the Lord's Day. Now, I will have to say there's many scholars and theologians, and this is for you like brainiacs out there, but there are many scholars and theologians who believe that John didn't mean the Lord's day. He meant the day of the Lord, which the day of the Lord is described in the Old Testament and the New Testament as the day when the moon will turn to blood and the wrath of God will be spoken upon the ungodly. That's the day of the Lord. And many people believe that this is what John was talking about, but I don't believe that's what John was talking about. And the majority of theologians will say it was not the day of the Lord, it was the Lord's day. There's a difference. And John talks about the day of the Lord later in Revelation, and he uses different terminology to the Lord's day. What John is talking about is talking about the one day of the week when believers would dedicate themselves to worshiping God. And this is why I think this is really unique. 
Because John is in a moment of imprisonment. He's in a season where it doesn't matter if it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. There's no TGIF when you are in prison. There's no waking up, oh, it's Saturday, great, it's Saturday. I love Saturdays when you're in prison. There's no Sunday afternoon nap when you are in prison. There's no Monday morning blues when you are in prison because every day is a morning blue when you are in prison prison and this is what I think is so unique even in his imprisonments John did not forget Sunday he did not forget Sunday and this is the problem with most people who find themselves in captivity who find themselves in an imprisonment all the days start running into each other But I'm amazed that John, even in his place of imprisonment, in his place of confinement, still honored God on the Lord's Day. Now, I may be old-fashioned in some areas of my life. And this may be one of them. But I wonder what has happened to Sunday. What has happened to Sunday? When the worship of sports and the worship of TV marathons has taken the place of the worship of Christ, what has happened to Sunday? What has happened to the Lord's Day? You may say, Alex, well, you're behind the times. It's not relevant anymore. But it's been relevant for 2,000 millennia. Why in our generation do we give up the Lord's Day? There is something pure and passionate about John's way of keeping track of the days. Knowing the difference between the Holy Sabbath day and a normal weekday. And I just wonder in our nation, I wonder if our nation is becoming less and less godly as we make Sunday less and less holy. If our nation is becoming less and less godly as we have made Sunday less and less holy. You may say, Alex, you are behind the times or you're not with the times. And I'll be honest with you today. I don't want to get with the times. Because these times we live in are times when kids go out of church into college and they totally lose their faith because their roots are not grounded in the word of God. We live in a culture where marriages are breaking up and homes are breaking up left, right and center and we don't even blink an eyelid. We live in a culture here in Harford County where there are young people who are more concerned with getting a high from heroin than the risk of losing their life even though they can lose their life. Those are the times that we live in. I don't want to get with the times. We are Christians and Jesus says we don't get with the times. We make the times for we are salt and light to this world and we are the ones who should be shaping culture and so there's no reason why we should start neglecting the Lord's day. And John didn't. The second variable, we see this, he worshipped in the spirits. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. John just didn't keep a religious day. A day just to mark off your calendar, I went to church that day. He used this day to get serious with God. Now notice, he didn't say, I was just singing a few songs, I read my devotional, I just said like an average prayer. John says, I was in the spirits. 
John had moved his worship from a religious act to one where his soul was touching the tip of heaven. He was tuned in. He was fully focused on Jesus. See, John had not only just given his life to Jesus. John had been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was touching his life. And, 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 and as he prayed, he was touching heaven in the spirits. John had not just seen Jesus, he had not just believed in Jesus, but his heart had been totally changed and restored by Jesus. And when that happens, there is a connection in the spirits. You can blank out everything else and you can focus just on Jesus. And so often when we are in a place of imprisonment or captivity, we use our suffering as an excuse not to worship God. I can't go and worship God because I'm just not feeling healthy enough. I can't worship God because my marriage is on the rocks. I can't worship God because I'm just too upset about my children. I can't worship God because I've just been too sinful today and I just can't face those holy church folk at Generation Church. I, I can't worship God today because I'm just too worried about my finances and, 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 and it's just weighing me down. And that's what we often do. And we may not vocalize it, but in our actions we do. But yet, this was not John. John wouldn't let suffering, hardship, pain, captivity or loneliness get in the way of his relationship with Christ. And this is what I'm learning by the grace of God. That when I go through suffering in my life, I think Jesus wants me to quit complaining and start worshiping. Quit complaining and start seeking him. Quit moaning and start putting my focus on him. Do not let your environment affect your heart for Jesus. Do not let your environment affect your heart for Jesus. Do not let, let the natural landscape of your life and all that's going on in your life destroy the spiritual atmosphere of your heart. Plainly said, don't let your imprisonment affect your relationship with the one true God. Don't let what you are going through stop God moving in your life. Even though you may be going through hardship and pain and suffering, and you may feel there's a prison wall all around you, it still does not stop you getting on your knees and getting in a moment where you are totally fixed on Jesus. Like John, he was in the spirits. In the middle of John's greatest suffering, suddenly Jesus shows up. The Jesus he sees is a glorified Jesus, and this is what happens. It says, as I was worshiping the, in the Lord's, on the Lord's day in the Spirit, suddenly I heard behind me the voice like a trumpet blast. Have you noticed when Jesus comes, he didn't just come and whisper, hey, John. He's like, comes with a trumpet blast. He's like a two-year-old coming into your room at six o'clock in the morning. Ah, daddy! That's what Jesus does. And he says this in verse 11, and it said to me, Write in a book everything you see and send. Write everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the city of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thygera, Tyre, uh, sorry, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned 
to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man. It's almost like a boy band scenario, right? Got some lampstands there. Some guy comes in a white shirt, you know. But he says, I see someone who looks like the Son of Man. Like he looks like him, but he doesn't look like him. Remember the last time John saw him was 62 years ago when Jesus was ascending to heaven. And the Jesus he's looking at, and the man he's looking at now looks like Jesus, but he doesn't quite look like Jesus. Then it says this, he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. So John is saying, I saw someone who looks like the Son of Man, meaning looks like Jesus, and then suddenly Jesus says, it is me. You see me. And in the middle of his suffering, suddenly he experienced Jesus. He had not seen Jesus for 62 years. And in your life right now, maybe you have not experienced Jesus for a long, long time. But it doesn't mean you can't experience Jesus again. Maybe in your life you experienced Jesus years ago and you had this moment where Jesus was so real to you. But it feels like the, the, just the, the pain of life and the, uh, and the journey of life have, have taken the realness of Jesus away. And if that's you, it doesn't matter. Jesus can still appear to you today. Even in your prison, in your confinement, you can experience him. In the middle of your suffering, you can experience him. In the middle of your pain, you can experience him. Through that season of uncertainty and anxiety, your spirit can be awakened to him. Last year was one of the hardest years spiritually for me I've ever experienced. Things were going well for us. In lots of areas, but in my spirit, it feels like God had just been a little distant. And I'd been through some things, and I was finding it hard to pray. I was finding it hard to read my Bible consistently. I was finding it hard just to focus in on Jesus. And And it went into the beginning of this year, and some things just kind of made me a little down. Different things of leadership and church leadership that normally I just brush off, just really started to get to me. And at the beginning of January, I went on a 21-day fast, and it's something I do every January, just to get myself focused on God and what God wants us to do this year. And this fast was a little hard this year. The, the, not eating wasn't hard, but just the connecting with God, it was like the heavens were shut up, and I just couldn't connect with God. And I prayed and prayed, and on the 21st day, on the evening, 
of January 23rd. My wife had gone to bed. My son was in bed. I put some music on. I put some earbuds in my ears. And suddenly, God showed up. It's something kind of unexplainable. If I was to really explain what happened, you'd be like, that guy's freaky. I don't want to come back to this church again. But I can't explain it. But all I know, for the next two hours, I found myself bent over because I couldn't even stand. Tears running down my eyes and shaking uncontrollably. Because Jesus had shown up in my living room. I didn't see like John saw. I didn't see some creepy white guy (laughs) with flames coming about his eyes. But my spirit suddenly touched the spirit of heaven. And I experienced Jesus like I'd never experienced him before. I experienced him in in an incredible way 21 years ago, but this was even greater. And God spoke some things and reminded some things into my life that night. But the reason I tell you that is because it was out of my greatest season of spiritual dryness and spiritual poverty, I would say, that Jesus showed up. That I had been through a season where God had just not been real as much to me anymore. Where I just couldn't connect with God like I used to. That God showed up. And you may be going through a season in your life right now where it feels like God is a million miles away. That Jesus is just not that real to you right now. You may be going through a season in your life where you feel that you experience God A year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago or 25 years ago. But you just haven't experienced him right now. And if you're going through that season, you are in a position, you are in a place for Jesus to show up in your life right now. And I believe that God can do the same for you today on this Lord's Day. And it starts with just consecrating ourselves to him. Allowing your spirit to break free, even though the surroundings around you may feel imprisoned. And bringing worship to your Savior. I believe on this Lord's Day, the revelation that you are crying out for, you can see today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. That's why your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning. I don't know where you are in your spiritual life right now. Jesus may be so close to you that you're just seeing him in everything. You see him at work. You see him in your family. You see him every time you open the Bible. You feel like you're just getting word after word from God. And if you are, then keep going. Keep pressing in. Keep seeking God for greater revelation because that is a unique, incredible season you are in right now. But there are some of you here today and you feel that God is just not showing up. You feel God is silent. You feel that God may have just left you. You feel that 
you've been going through the motions. You find praying hard. You find in reading your Bible hard. You find in just living this Christian life just hard. Some of you, you may be through, going through a prison right now. You may be in a prison in your finances or you may be in a prison in your health or you may feel like you're in a prison with your job or your career or even in your relationships. And you feel that you're stuck right now. And if that's you today, then I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray that God will break, come through those prison walls in your life and break through and show himself to you in incredible ways. For I believe like John on his Lord's Day, where he experienced Jesus, you can experience Jesus here today. And if you're in this place today and you've never experienced Jesus, you've never allowed Jesus to come into your life, you don't even know if you believe in Jesus, then today is a day you can give your life unto him. And as you give your life unto him, he'll make his spirit resident in your heart and your life will never be the same again. And if that's you today, pray with me as well. So Father God,